Here's the senior pastor of Gospel City Church, Trent Griffith. Middle class people, they live with the illusion of control. And if I had a little more money, I could have a little more control. And Jesus is saying, blessed are people who understand they actually have no control. Blessed are people who don't live with the illusion that they can control anything about their lives. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith. I'm Aaron Paulus. Trent is in the middle of a series from the Gospel of Luke titled All Things New. He begins with a provocative question today. Do you want to be blessed by God? Raise your hand if you would like to be blessed by God. Hey, God, if you're handing out blessings today, I would like to be in that line. Wherever the line is to get the blessing, I want that. If after the service today, we had just a special line of people, we were handing out blessings over there, how many of you would stick around a few minutes to get that? You, you, you would do that, right? You wanna be blessed by God. Okay, so what you're probably thinking that would mean, like if I was blessed by God, I'd probably have a little more money I'd probably have a little less pain in my life. I'd probably cry a few less tears and I would probably be a little more well-liked by people. That's probably what you think of when you think about what it would mean to be blessed by God. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but Jesus is about to tell us that it means exactly the opposite. People who are Blessed are people who are poor, weepy, filled with pain, and are often rejected by people. Now, let me go back to the original question here. You want to be blessed by God? Is that what you're signing up for? Anybody still want to stand in that line? Hmm, how are we going to navigate that? Well, let's dive into it here as we look at what it means to be blessed by God. Let's open up the story here in Luke chapter 6, 12. How many introverts in the room? Introverts, raise your hand. Introverts don't raise their hand in church. I'm not going to do that, all right? So listen, you're going to like this part. Verse 12 is the introverted Jesus. This is what we have in Luke 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. If you've noticed, as we've been walking through the first six chapters of Luke, we find Jesus moving from the private place to the public place, back to the private place, back to the public place. He needs needs this time alone with God. Now, as an introvert, I appreciate this about Jesus because there's a lot of times that I have to be in a public place and stand in front of hundreds of people and, and try to you know, pour out and give out. And at the end of that time, I need a little time by myself to recover from all the things that the people are demanding. That's exactly what Jesus did in this moment. He goes to the place of prayer. Now, we're about to find out why he was praying, but let me just say, I don't know what you're facing, but if you are, tend to be a little extroverted, you, if Jesus needed time alone with God in prayer, how much more do you need to prioritize a private place of prayer where you pause from all the busyness and all the demands and all of your public persona, and maybe you just need to spend an entire night 
alone with God in prayer. Jesus needed that. In his humanity, he did everything he did publicly through the power he received from God in prayer. Now, what was he praying about? Verse 13, and when day came, he called his disciples. Underline the word disciples in verse 13. He called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Underline the word apostles. Now, I want you to notice here, there's, there's two different groups of people identified there in verse 13. He called the 12. If I ask you how many disciples Jesus had, most of you would say, yeah, 12. Correct, original 12 disciples. But notice he called these 12s from another group, a larger group of disciples. There's a sense in which Jesus had 12 disciples. There's another sense in which there was a a large group of people that were disciples of Jesus. We're going to find out who they were in just a minute. Now, I want you to notice who these guys were. Verse 14 lists these 12 guys. Simon, who was named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and then there was this other Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so we have these 12 guys. Jesus calls them apostles. Now that's it's kind of a spiritual, religious sounding word. The word apostles just simply means sent one or commissioned one. So these 12 was a special group of people, a small group of people. By the way, if you're not in a small group, here's, here's a biblical pattern for it. Jesus had a small group. Jesus led a small group. Jesus knew that he couldn't give the masses of people the attention that they needed. And so about 12 was about as much as you can really love and know and care for somebody. So he had 12, and that's about the number we have in our small groups here. And so we want you to be loved and known and cared for. And so you should be part of a group of about 12. Now, notice here that one of these guys, his name was Judas. Now, spoiler alert here, spoiler alert. This didn't turn out well, okay? And notice it wasn't a mistake that Jesus chose Judas, God has divine purposes for even the opposition that we face in our life. Jesus was willing to make his life more complicated by dealing with a bunch of guys. Now, I don't know about you, if I was Jesus, that's not an announcement, but if I was Jesus, I would have been praying that God would have led me to the strongest, most courageous, most theologically astute, most qualified guys in the group. That's not what Jesus was praying, apparently, because he ended up with a bunch of knuckleheads, right? And so I think what Jesus was praying is he was praying for these guys, that God would give them the courage, that God would give them the heart and the humility and the and the desire to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost was. And so Jesus had this group of 12 guys. Now, I want you to notice they were even a part of a large group. Look at verse 17. Now, where are the extroverts in the room? Where are the extroverts? 
We already knew. We already knew where you were, okay? So here's the extroverted Jesus. Verse 17. And we came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. And here's a third group. A great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. That's up in Lebanon. Those who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Notice the two different reasons people would come to be healed and to hear. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him to heal them all. So notice there's actually three different groups of people identified. There is the 12, that's the inner circle. These are guys sold out. They've left everything. They're going to give their lives because they love Jesus that much. And yet there's a broader group of disciples. They come to hear the teaching of Jesus and maybe to be healed. But then there's even a broader group, the great multitude. And why were they coming? They were coming because Jesus was doing some cool stuff. Jesus was healing diseases. He was casting out demons. You know, every time there's a group of people that gathers, I think the same three groups of people can be identified. There's the people in the inner circle, man. They've given their lives to Jesus. They love him so much. They're paying a price. They've left everything. And there's a broader group of disciples and they're, they're interested, they're learning, they're curious. I want to hear the teaching. And then there's this broad group that they show up because they believe Jesus can make their life easier. If I didn't have to live with this disease, if I didn't have to fight this demon, if Jesus could just kind of eliminate those things, my life would be so much easier. Can I ask you a question this morning? Which crowd are you in? Did you come here this morning because you think that going to church makes your life easier? Because you're kind of a fan of Jesus and if he would just answer my prayers and give me uh, a wife or fix my husband or give me a better job or send some more money, my life would be easier. And if I get some favor with Jesus, then maybe he'll bless me and I'll get all that stuff. Is that you? I hope that's not you. If, you. if that's you, would you please move a little closer into the inner circle of Jesus? Maybe join the group of people that's here to actually hear from Jesus, to learn how to live a life that pleases Jesus. And if you're in that second group, um, why are you playing in the shallow end of the pool? You're welcome to come into the deep end, the inner circle, and be a disciple. Leave everything. Be willing to make your life more complicated in order to live sent on mission with Jesus. And so these three groups, I believe, are here today. So let's find out how this inner circle actually gets blessed by God. Look at verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Interesting here, who is Jesus about to address this to? The crowd or to the disciples? He's speaking to the disciples. He's not about to preach an evangelistic sermon. He's about to preach a discipleship sermon to help us know what the attitudes are of a true disciple. So we can test ourselves. Are we really a disciple or are we just part of the crowd? Verse 20, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you 
who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall be, uh, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. And so their fathers did to the prophets. But then Jesus turns his attention to the crowd and says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Two different groups, one blessed, one cursed. The word woe there that he speaks four different times to the crowds, what he's saying is you're living without the blessing because you are living to be comforted now. To be blessed is the most important thing. To be blessed by God is the absolute essential Thing that we need from God. What does it mean to be blessed? The word can simply, I've heard it said before in sermons, it means happy. Happy are those who are poor. Happy are those who are, who are weeping. I, it means so much more than to be happy. What it means, it means to be favored. It means to be graced. It means to be approved, or in a sense, to be applauded. There's a sense in which when we come the first 30 minutes or so of our worship service, do you know what we're doing? We are blessing God. We're approving of God. We're applauding God. We're favoring God. We're saying, you're the one we're living for. You're the greatest thing. You are holy. The second half of the service is to teach us how to be blessed by God, to be approved by God, to be applauded by God, to live a life that is favored by God. So when we say we want to be blessed, what we're saying is we need God's active, intentional, targeted grace to be dumped in our lives, even though we are totally unworthy of it. Now notice, to be blessed by God is not something you do. Christians are blessed. And so there are some attitudes that we have and some things that we do because we are blessed. If you're favored, if you're approved by God, it produces these kinds of attitudes in us. And so to be blessed is the greatest need of every person here today. So you want to be blessed by God? Here's the first thing that he tells us. You've got to be Poor. How you doing with that? Um, the problem with that is we live in 21st century Western American culture. So I'd like all the rich people in the room just to stand up right now. All the rich people, just, we just want to identify who the rich people are. Oh, we didn't get any volunteers. Yeah, there, here's, here's the thing. Nobody in this room thinks you're the rich guy. 
When you think of the rich guy, you think of that other guy that's got more than you. But here's the thing. 98% of the world is thinking of the people in this room. Of all of the human beings that have ever lived on this planet, you are part of the top 1% richest people ever in the world. That's a problem. You know why? Because Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. And when he's talking about poor there, he's talking about, he's really talking about power. The richer you are, the more power you have, the more control you have to shape the life that you want to have. It's economic power. So the question is this, if you want to be blessed by God, you've got to answer this question correctly. What will you do with power? Now, it's amazing that poor people are actually more open to the gospel. Do you know why? It's because they are convinced that everything they have is a grace gift. And the more that you have, the harder it is to believe I am powerless. Now, by the way, when he says blessed are the poor, we think the opposite of poor is what? What's the opposite of the word poor? Why didn't anybody say middle class? The opposite of poor is also middle class. He didn't, he didn't just say, he didn't say blessed are the middle class. You see, middle class people, they live with the illusion of control. And if I had a little more money, I could have a little more control. And Jesus is saying, blessed are people who understand they actually have no control. Blessed are people who don't live with the illusion that they can control anything about their lives. Blessed are people that understand that we are powerless to pay our sin debt before God. And so it, it's not just talking about economic poverty here. We know that because over in the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew records this sermon that Jesus preaches, what does he say? He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So he's talking about a spiritual poverty. Blessed are those that know you're spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those that understand you have no power to achieve favor from God. And there's an attitude of a disciple that says, no matter how much I have, no, no matter how much earning power I have, I've got to continually move toward the place of spiritual need. I've got to resist the temptation to think I can live without a desperation for God. People who are poor in spirit are sacrificial with their stuff. People that are poor in spirit are so generous at times, they will actually feel like they're putting themselves at financial risk as they pry their fingers off stuff that would deceive them into thinking, I'm in control. I have power. And I don't need God. 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that understand they're spiritually bankrupt. Christians are those that never lose the sense that their destiny eternally is dependent upon the riches of God's grace. Christians are willing to leave everything of value to gain that which has ultimate value. And Christians freely share what they have with others so others can be made spiritually rich. Disciples have a willingness to live with less, less money, less control, less power, because we are trusting in something outside of ourselves for what we need. Now, who does that? How many of you are doing that? You will only be willing to live with less and to give away more if you believe the second half of the verse. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of God. We are citizens of this heavenly kingdom in which Jesus rules and reign as king. And so Christians are willing to sacrifice their power and their possessions in order to be citizens of this kingdom. Now listen, understand how radical and upside down this thinking is. This is what he's saying. If blessing is your goal, you all said you want to be blessed by God, then poverty is a gift. Poverty of spirit, and if in order to produce the poverty of spirit, you have to be made economically impoverished, we should be willing to do that to gain what only God can give. We, we have to live with a spirit of desperation every day. With every dollar of income that comes our way, we must not allow it to deceive us into thinking that it can satisfy we have to live with a spiritual desperation. We have to have a spirit of generosity in order to always be thinking, this is not my world and I can't buy my way back to God. I have to live with the spirit of empowering others. What you do when God actually increases your earning power will determine whether or not you will be continued to be blessed by God. Those who are blessed by God have a spiritual hunger. So what will you do with the power that God gives you? Here's the second question. What will you do with your passions? Notice the second beatitude, verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. By the way, how many of you are actually hungry right now? Are you hungry right now? You're hungry? I mean, it's, it's not time for lunch. It's, hopefully you had breakfast. And so did, did you see the people that raised their hand? Are the people that are actually physically hungry right now, the people that have a rumbly tummy right now, are those people more blessed than the people who are not hungry right now? Is that what he's saying, blessed are the hungry? Now again, over in Matthew, he gives us a little more detail on what Jesus actually said. He said, blessed are those who are hungry, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we got to ask the question, what is righteousness? Certainly there's a sense in which we understand it to be the imputed righteousness of Christ, but 
Really, the word righteousness just simply means things made right. If you have lived in this world for longer than 20 minutes, you realize this world is jacked up. This world is broken. It, there's something not right about this world. And we feel it. And it makes us hungry to live in a world where things work right. All the injustice that we see, all of the pain, all of the economic poverty even. We wonder why there's, there's, there's inequality and, and, and abuse and racism. And, and we, we, why, why, why do people die even? You see, there's a hunger in the human soul that says, I wish things were made right, a hunger for righteousness. We live with a hunger in our soul for satisfaction, for security, even for significance. And the world tries to mask this hunger in us by feeding us a bunch of spiritual junk food. How many of you actually believe that a Snicker bar satisfies? You actually believe that? Okay, I see that hand, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and you know what? I, I believe that for about 30 minutes, and then, then I want another Snicker bar or a Butterfinger this time or a Milky Way or crab legs or steak, you know? It's like you just keep upgrading the food until you realize, hey, every time I eat, a few hours later, I get hungry again. That is true with everything created in this world. Do you understand? God created nothing in this world to satisfy the deepest passions of your soul. A good prayer for us to pray is, God, help me not be too easily satisfied. Because as we've just been hearing from Trent Griffith, no created thing can ever truly satisfy us. A 20th century Oxford professor by the name of C.S. Lewis once said this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. That'll adjust your perspective, won't it? Actually, that's biblical. Because of our bent toward choosing wrong, we all need to have our perspectives adjusted. And that's something that should happen every time you open your Bible to read or every time you sit under the preaching of God's Word. When your heart is soft and ready to hear what He has for you, you can't help but be changed. If you're looking for a church to call home, why not visit Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana or in Elkhart County? For information about service times and locations, just go to mygospelcity.org. You can click or tap where you see, I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. 
And you'll find more exciting and practical content when you follow us on Facebook. Just look for Gospel City Church. Well, here's a soul-searching question from Pastor Trent. Are you more concerned with the approval of God or the approval of people? We'll hear more from Trent Griffith about living life upside down next week. I hope you'll join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that true satisfaction from God would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.